Hey, my prayer, our prayer for you is that you have that living hope today, not a dead hope, not a merely sentimental hope, but the kind of hope that is grounded in reality and the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Thank, thank you guys so much for being here. If we haven't met, I'm Josh. I'm one of the pastors here and appreciate you guys being here. This is the time of the service where kids, uh, if you guys want to go outside, you can head outside. Um, my kids, you guys can head outside. Yeah, mommy's in the back. There you go. She's going outside. Uh, I'm going to have some fun outside during the sermon time, um, and um, they'll come back inside kind of right as the, as the sermon is ending. Um, we are continuing our series today uh, in the book of Psalms. So we got this week and then next week uh, in the book of Psalms. And so obviously, as I said, we're not going to do all 150 Psalms, but we're looking at some key Psalms to look at how these ancient hymns and these ancient prayers that were written thousands of years ago and half a world away speak right to where we are here and now. And they don't only just, they don't only just speak to us, they speak for us. They they give voice to the deepest cries and the hopes and the fears and the emotions of the human experience. And and honestly, we've been looking at some pretty heavy emotions, right? We're looking at sadness and fear and envy and anger, which is what you get when you have a pastor who always wears black, I guess. But we're going to be today in Psalm 16. And in Psalm 16, what we're going to hear is we're going to hear the voice of joy. What does is, what is the experience of joy tell us about God? And then also, how does God speak to us and call us to find true joy in him? Before we do, though, I, before we get into the text, I want to ask you to think about joy with me for a second. Think about something. Think about the happiest, most beautiful, most exhilarating, most wonderful moment of your life. Get it in your mind. What is it? So maybe it was your wedding day. Maybe the, the moment you held your first child. Maybe, maybe a, a, a wonderful vacation or a, a, a day at the beach. Maybe it was a concert. Maybe it was a sporting event. Maybe it was a sunrise in the mountains. Maybe it was just a night with friends connecting around a, a bonfire, around a kitchen table, connecting deeply with the souls of other human beings. And now what are you feeling when you think about that experience? If you really pay attention, you're probably feeling a number of different things. You you feel happiness, probably. You feel gratitude. But probably there's also a bit of a sense of loss as you think about it. Because you want to recapture that moment. Maybe that person isn't with you anymore. Maybe you feel this sense of nostalgia for something that's been lost. Maybe you mourn the fact that that time in your life is over. And that sense of loss, that that stab of longings for something beautiful that's been lost is what C.S. Lewis called joy. Lewis says we we experience these brief moments of transcendence, of deep connection, of beauty that's almost too wonderful to bear, and it just leaves us starving for more. And what, what Lewis noticed, and I think what we see in the Bible, is that these brief moments of intense joy and happiness and gladness are meant to point beyond themselves to something better. They're good gifts that God gives us. They're good gifts that God wants us to enjoy, but they're also temporary and fleeting and finite, and they're meant to to drive us to the only source of joy that is not temporary and not fleeting and not finite. They're meant to point us to God, to, to whet our appetite, to make us hungry for a joy and a happiness that will never fade. See, some of us assume that joy, that happiness, is just something that happens to us. It's dependent on our circumstances. And so what we do is we go out looking for it in a million different ways. 
But the thing is, if you just go out looking for happiness, you'll never find it because you'll always be moving the finish line. You'll always be thinking, if I can get this next thing, that'll make me happy. I'll get my dream job. I'll get into a, a higher income back bracket. I'll buy a house. I'll buy a bigger house. I'll get married. I'll get divorced. I'll have kids. I'll get my kids out of the house. I'll retire. I'll figure out something to do with my retirement. And the finish line just keeps moving further and further down the field. And we keep trying to chase happiness by curating our experiences and engineering our circumstances. And there's nothing wrong with planning or dreaming or strategizing. But if you're expecting, I'm going to get that thing and it's going to make me fully and finally happy, then it will never be enough. Because if our joy is based on something that is transient and fleeting, then our joy will be transient and fleeting. This psalm, Psalm 16, shows us how to have a joy that lasts. Shows us how to have a gritty joy. An enduring joy. A joy that endures in the midst of sadness and anger and pain and heartache and sorrow and anything that life throws at you. This is a psalm written by King David. It's one of the most important psalms in the entire Bible. It's all over the New Testament. The writers of the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, quote this psalm all over the place. So one of the most important psalms in the history of the church, but not just in the history of the church. For me personally, it's one of the most important psalms in my life. It's not a stretch to say that this psalm carried me through difficult years of my life. I fell in love with this psalm almost 18 years ago. I was walking through a really difficult time in my life, a time when everything that I had been living for fell apart. And this chapter, probably, probably as much, maybe more than any other chapter in the Bible, was this prayer that I cried out to God. And what I found was that God was with me. He didn't, he didn't make all the circumstances magically get better, but what I found is that he was with me in the midst of the pain and the sadness, and he offered me the kind of joy that the circumstances of life couldn't take away. So how do you get that? How do you get that kind of gritty, enduring joy that can withstand whatever life throws at you? Psalm 16, let's read it and find out. David prays, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints and the land, they are the beautiful ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to the grave or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. The Psalm, David paints a picture of the life of enduring joy, of gritty joy, and he shows us what it looks like. He says, if you want to have a life of joy, six things need to be true in your life. It's a life of dependence, a life of gratitude, a life of community, a life of holiness, a life of confidence, and a life of intimacy. We're going we're to run through these as we look through the psalm. First, if you want to have a joy that lasts, you got to have a life of dependence. Verse 1, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Preserve me, O God. Help me, O God. 
David doesn't pretend that everything is okay. He cries out to God. He's honest about his need. Listen, the way to happiness is not just putting a happy face on and pretending that everything is fine. The way to happiness is not trying to insulate ourselves from pain and live some safe, pain-free existence. The way to happiness is to let our need drive us to God. The road to joy doesn't come through denial. The road to joy comes through dependence. God says, or David says, God, you are my refuge. You are my fortress. You are my hope. You are the one thing I know that I can count on. And so let me ask you today, what's your refuge? What's the one thing that you're counting on? Is it your bank account? Is it your family? Is it your friends? Is it your physical health? Now, those can be wonderful things, but they will all fail you. They can't bear the weight of your hopes and dreams. God never designed them to bear that weight. And if you try to load them down with those impossible expectations, you will crush them under the weight of it. David says, God, you have given me all kinds of good gifts, and I am grateful for them, but I am not ultimately dependent on them. I am ultimately dependent on you. You are my refuge. And that sense of dependence leads him to a sense of gratitude. That's the second thing if you, that you have to have if you want a joy that endures. Gratitude, verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. God, everything I have, every good thing I have is a good gift from your hand. You know, we like to think of ourselves as, as self-made men and women, right? I did this. I built this. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I beat the odds. But here's the thing. Even if that's true to some extent in your life, like even if you've worked hard, let me ask you, who gave you the ability to do that? Who put you in the social networks to enable you to do that? Who gave you the intellect to do that? Who put you in a place where you got the necessary nutrients as an infant for your brain to develop, especially when you consider that there are children all over the world who don't have enough food to eat or clean water to drink? You didn't do that. God did that. God placed you there. Even those things we have earned by the sweat of our brow, they are ultimately good gifts from God. And David says, God, every good thing I have comes from you. And without you, none of these things can ultimately make me happy. Now, if you read the story of David's life in the Bible, you know that he experienced extreme highs and he experienced extreme lows. He knows what it is to be a king, but he also knows what it is to be a homeless fugitive running for his life. Some scholars believe David actually wrote this psalm during one of these times when he was on his, the run for his life. He'd been anointed the king. God said, David, you're going to be the king of my people Israel. But, but at this point, David is homeless, an outlaw, on the run, living in a cave. And even then, David says, God, I have no good apart from you. I might be the most powerful king on the earth. I might have wealth and power and every good thing imaginable. But if I don't have God, it's all empty. And on the flip side, I might lose all those things. I, I might be running for my life. But if I have God, I can still have gritty, enduring, indomitable joy. I can have joy in the good times. I can have joy in the bad times. Some of us here are walking through the good times. And we should be grateful for that. We should thank God for that. We should enjoy the good gifts that he has given us. We should cultivate. We've actually got to learn to do this. We've got to train ourselves to be thankful people because it doesn't come naturally to us. And it doesn't have to be something huge, right? God, thank you for this food that you've given me to eat. 
God, thank you for clean water to drink. God, thank you for my kids, even when they wake me up in the middle of the night. God, thank you for the beauty of the sunset. Thank you for keeping my heart beating and my lungs working. Right now, God is blessing us in a million ways that we don't even think of. And the key to joy is learning to recognize those blessings and to receive them with gratitude. We learn to thank God for his blessings, but we also need to remember that even the best of times will leave us unsatisfied without God. Some of us are going through the hard times. And it's good and right to pray for deliverance. It's good and right to pray, verse one, God, preserve me. But even in the midst of those times, what we need more than anything else is we need God to be with us. God, you are my good. I have no good apart from you. Gratitude is the key to joy. The key to joy is not getting everything you ever dreamed of. The key to joy is receiving what God has given us with grateful hearts. And one of the greatest gifts God has given us is each other. Look, look around this room. We are for each other. One of the greatest gifts that God has given us. He's given us the community of faith. It's the third thing you see in this passage, community. Verse three, as for the saints in the land, they are the beautiful ones in whom is all my delight. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word saints. Maybe you think of a football team. <laughs> Maybe you think of the stained glass window. You think of, of people who have performed miracles. There's all sorts of things that people think of. But that's not how the Bible uses the term. The word saints literally means holy ones. And it doesn't refer to people who are perfect or people who have lived some spectacular life or done these amazing miracles. It refers to people that God has set apart as holy. It refers to a community that God has brought into a special relationship with himself and with each other. Holiness in the scriptures is actually not first and foremost about what we do. It's first and foremost about what God has done for us. We don't make ourselves holy. God makes us holy by his grace. His grace makes us beautiful. So let me ask you, can you actually say verse three here? Is, is this how you look at your brothers and sisters in Christ? Let's get a little more specific. How about the brothers and sisters in Christ who vote differently from you? How about the ones who see things differently from you? How about the ones who rub you the wrong way? God delights in them. And the more you become like Jesus, the more godly you become, the more you will learn to delight in them. The fact is, it's easy to say you love God. It's a lot harder to love the people of God. But if you delight in God, you will delight in his people. Like, let's be honest, the church is messed up. Church has always been messed up. This church is messed up because honestly, we're all messed up. We're all sinners. If you ever find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll just mess it up. The people of God, like, let's be honest, we are sinful we are broken, but God has set us apart as holy for himself. God is making us into something beautiful. That's why I love gathering with our church on Sunday mornings. That's why I need this. I, I, like, I don't just do this. Like I need to gather with you. I need to hear you singing. I need to look around this room at this beautiful and broken mess of people. These holy ones. These beautiful ones, these ones in whom is my delight, but more than that, these ones in whom God delights. God delights in you. He delights in your brothers and sisters in Christ. We need each other if we're gonna have that kind of a joy that lasts. 
Sometimes when difficult times come, what we're tempted to do is we're tempted to pull back, right? We want to isolate ourselves. We want to withdraw. We want to keep up that mask, keep up that facade. You know what? I'll get myself cleaned up and then I'll go back to church. No, if if you're broken, if you're messed up, if you're not sure if you can keep going, then this is exactly the place for you. We need each other. God preserves his people through his people. God sets us apart. God makes us holy. God makes us beautiful. And so the way to find true joy is to live out that reality. The way to find true happiness is to live as the holy people that God has made us. That's the fourth key to joy, holiness. Verse four, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. When you go through the hard times in life, so often you're tempted to run after other gods. Like this is David here. God said, you're gonna be the king. And where's David? He's, he's a homeless outlaw on the run living in a cave. And he's tempted to go try to find happiness somewhere else. And you might, you might hear that and you might say, not me, like pouring out drink offerings of blood. Like I'm not worshiping some primitive God. I'm not even religious. This definitely isn't for me. But, but let me ask you, what are you running after? What are you chasing after? What's the main pursuit of your life? Whatever the main pursuit of your life is, whatever you're pouring out your life to get, that's what you're trusting in. That's your God. And the question is not, will you worship? The question is, what will you worship? Every other God, everything else you run after will eventually take your life from you. But this is the God who gives his life for you. This isn't a God who takes your blood from you. This is a God who literally gave his own blood to give you life. Gives himself to us. Verse five, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. He says, the Lord is the food that sustains me. The Lord is the wine that makes my heart glad. The Lord is my inheritance. The Lord is my treasure. The Lord is better than anything else. And I will gladly give up anything else in order to get him. Holiness is the path to happiness. Godliness is the way to gladness. We we refuse to let these false gods and their false promises take our blood from us. We refuse to settle for anything less than the joy that can be found only in God himself because we want to eat and drink and be satisfied with the only thing that can ever truly satisfy us. Some of you in this room, maybe you're afraid of what that's going to mean for you, what that's going to mean for your relationships, that's going to mean for your spending habits, what that's going to mean for your sexuality. And and I want you to know that you're not the first person to struggle with this. In fact, anyone who wants to find true life and true joy in Jesus has to struggle with this in one way or another. You guys have heard me a million times, probably not quite a million, that's an exaggeration, but many times you guys have heard me quote St. Augustine. It's literally because St. Augustine is literally the most influential person in the history of the church outside the Bible. And Augustine was a, was a pagan from North Africa who eventually came to faith in Christ and became a pastor. But he struggled for years, wrestled for years with whether he was going to follow Jesus. He was intellectually convinced of Christianity. He, he believed it was true, but he didn't want to live it. 
And specifically for Augustine, it was the area of his sexuality. He wanted sin more than he wanted God. At one point in the Confessions, he talks about this, his autobiography. He's struggling with this, and he, and he prayed to God. This is his exact prayer. God, give me chastity, but not yet. Like, like that's an honest prayer. But there's this section in the Confessions where he talks about what happened when he finally gave up trying to find joy in sin and found where true joy is found. Listen to what he says. He's praying to the Lord and he says this, how sweet it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me. You who are the true, the sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place. You who are sweeter than all pleasure. And that's what I want. That's what I want for myself. That's what I want for you. I want to taste and see that the Lord is good. I want to stop living for those things that can never satisfy and taste the one who is sweeter than all pleasure. I want the true, the sovereign joy. That's how you develop joy that endures no matter what comes at you. Dependence, gratitude, community, holiness. Fifth, confidence. Confidence. Verse seven, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Look at his confidence. David's confidence isn't in himself. He's not saying I'm strong. I got this. No, he says my confidence is in the Lord because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. That doesn't mean that life is easy. This is battle imagery here. In the ancient world, when the king was fighting in battle, they would station their most trusted soldier at his right hand. And that soldier's job was to protect the king because what you would do is you would hold your shield in one hand and you'd be fighting with a sword or a spear or whatever you had in the other hand and your right side was unprotected. And so you would station your most trusted soldier there literally as your right hand man and their job was to make sure that you didn't get killed. And David says, I'm in a war. I'm surrounded by enemies on every side, but I will not be shaken because the Lord fights for me. The Lord is protecting me. The Lord is at my right hand. What are you putting your confidence in? Do you have a foundation that can't be shaken? I mean, we live in a world without foundations. Everything crumbles. Nothing lasts forever. That's true of us physically, that's true of us relationally. Over the past couple of years, many of us have felt like, like the very foundations of our society are crumbling. And the things that we once took for granted seem to have evaporated into thin air. So let me ask you, what is your foundation? And how do you get a foundation that can't be shaken? Again, verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night also, my heart instructs me. He says, God's counsel, God's words, God's promises, God's instructions have permeated me to the deepest part of my being. Like he is literally lying awake at night thinking about the instruction of God. He is sleeping at night, dreaming about the word of God. Friends, there is no other way to get an unshakable foundation. Abiding in God's word saturating ourselves with the word of God. That is the key to persevering joy. If you're going to have a joy that lasts, then you've got to soak yourself in the word of God. And here's the thing, like, that doesn't mean you need to become a monk, go around and chant all day. Like, you can do this all throughout the day while you're commuting to work, 
while you're washing the dishes, while you're changing diapers, while you're brushing your teeth, set the Lord continually before you. Get, get an audio Bible app on your phone. There's tons of them to choose from so that when you're driving in the car, when you're mowing the lawn, when you're hyperventilating on the treadmill, whatever you're doing, you can get the scriptures into the margins of your life. Open up that Bible app, that scripture memory app on your phone. So instead of doing Candy Crush, I mean, some of you are probably great at Candy Crush, but like it's more important to be hearing and memorizing the word of God. Write verses on note cards. Carry them with you. Put them in strategic places around your house. A few years ago, uh, I got in the shower and Tracy had written out the first chapter of Ephesians and put it in one of those plastic page protectors and taped it to the, to the shower door so that she could memorize Ephesians 1 while she was in the shower. You're like, I don't have time to memorize the scriptures. Well, I hope you have time to take a shower. Like, you soak yourself in God's word, right? So whatever works for you. Get the word of God in your heart and in your mind. That's why we memorize scripture together with our key verse each week. Not because we're trying to prove ourselves. Not we're just trying to get smarter. Not because we want God to like us more. We soak ourselves in God's word so that we can be reminded that he is at our right hand. That he is with us in the midst of whatever battle comes our way. Look what it produces. Look at verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Now, now, in the Bible, the heart isn't just another word for your feelings. The heart is the core of who you are. It's the center of your consciousness. It is what is most true about you and the depths of your being. And David says, God, you give me a gladness that goes right to the heart. This is not a superficial happiness. Friends, you and I live in a culture that is constantly trying to get us to settle for superficial happiness trying to sell us another product or another experience, trying to tell us a joke to get us to distract us, trying to create some media platform for us to escape into. That is not the kind of gladness that God gives. God gives us a realistic joy that goes to the core of our being and makes our whole being rejoice. And look where his confidence ultimately lies. Verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to the grave nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. He says, God, I know you won't abandon me. I know you'll deliver me from the grave. I know death itself can't keep you from me. The Apostle Peter, we looked at this a couple of months ago, Acts chapter two. The Apostle Peter actually preaches this text on the day of Pentecost. And he says, David was prophesying here. David eventually died. David didn't escape death. But David is looking forward to the day when God would set the promised son of David, the Messiah, on the throne and raise him from the dead. See, this psalm ultimately points us to Jesus. It points us to the one who went into the grave and came up out of the grave and trampled sin and death and hell underfoot. And that's really where we gain confidence because ultimately this psalm is not about us. It's not about me and how I've been faithful to God and how I've always trusted God. It's about Jesus and how he faithfully obeyed the Father. Because if you're honest with yourself, you gotta look at verses like like verse four and five, and you got to admit, man, I have followed another God a thousand times. I haven't delighted in God as my treasure, but there's one who never faltered, who never strayed, who never ran after another God, one who set the Lord continually before him, one who was not shaken, one whose whole being rejoiced in the Lord, whose body didn't stay in the grave, but who rose victorious from the dead. 
And our gladness, our joy, our hope comes from the fact that Jesus has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. That's why it's a living hope. Because our sin separates us from God. It separated us from the only thing that could bring true and lasting joy. But Jesus lived the life we should have lived. And he died the death we deserve to die. And he rose again, conquering sin and death and hell and the grave so that we could have our sins forgiven and so that we could know God. So that we could know the joy of God's presence without guilt or fear or shame or condemnation. So that we could have his joy for all of eternity and so that we could experience that joy now. The resurrection enables us to endure the hard times and it enables us to enjoy the good times because the resurrection reminds us that this is not all there is. One day Jesus will return. He will set all things right. He will make all things new. It reminds us that Friday might look bleak. Friday might look like pain and suffering and abandonment and crucifixion, but Sunday's coming. And the joy of the resurrection comes from the future and invades our present and gives us strength to endure. The resurrection gives us gritty joy to endure the hard times and greater capacity to enjoy the good times because it reminds us that something better is coming. As wonderful or as awful as your marriage is right now, as wonderful or as lonely as your singleness feels right now, as brokenhearted as you are over your divorce, the resurrection reminds you that one day you will experience the marriage you were created for, the eternal love of Jesus for his bride, the church. As wonderful or as awful as your family is right now, the resurrection reminds you that one day we will fully experience the family we were created for, God our Father, Jesus our older brother, brothers and sisters of every tribe and tongue and nation. As wonderful or as terrible as the world seems right now. The resurrection reminds us that Jesus is coming back to set all things right and to make all things new. And as Tolkien said, one day everything sad will come untrue. If you get that hope for the future firmly rooted in your heart, it'll give you a joy that endures anything that's happening in the present. Something better is coming. And here's ultimately what makes it better. Here's what makes it such good news. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. That's the final key to a joy that endures to the end, intimacy. Intimacy, this is what makes the gospel such good news. God isn't just trying to give you a better life. God is trying to give you himself. He wants us to know him now and for all eternity. He is with us now. He is with us in the hard times, in the good times, in the exciting times, in the mundane times, and one day we will see him face to face. The Hebrew here, in your presence, is literally before your face. Before your face, God, is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. The most beautiful sight you've ever seen the most delicious meal you've ever eaten, the crazy rapture you feel when you fall in love, the indescribable connection when you hold your child for the first time, those are dim reflections of the pleasure that's found only in God. Those are streams. God is the fountain of all joy. And so he says, come to me and drink. Drink 
deeply. Drink the living water. All those other pleasures, the most wonderful pleasures, they've all got a shelf life. But God doesn't have a shelf life. Augustine said that God fills us with insatiable satiety. In other words, an unsatisfiable satisfaction. And we come to him and we delight in him and we find that the more we enjoy him, the more of him there is to enjoy. Listen, I don't know where you are today. Maybe you've been running after these other gods. Maybe you've been seeking happiness in things that can never satisfy you. And God says, come to me and find the only thing that can satisfy you. Jesus isn't like these false gods who take your blood from you. He's the God who gave his blood for you. So you can come to him and you can be honest with him and you can confess your sin and you can turn back to him and you can find joy. You can find the only thing that will ever satisfy you. He wants to give you himself. Maybe for you today, you're just walking through a difficult time. And what you need is that community piece. You need the people of God to gather around you and to walk through it with you. Don't try to do it on your own. God gave us each other. We need each other as we walk through this life. Maybe for you, life is just good right now. And I want to encourage you to enjoy that. Enjoy that. Rejoice in that. Be happy. Be thankful for what the Lord has given you. Enjoy this day. Enjoy friends and food and nature and art and music and all the wonderful things that there are to enjoy and receive it with gladness as a good gift from a good God. Enjoy the goodness and the gladness of life to its fullest, but always let it point you to the source of joy. So wherever you are, that's my prayer, is that that you would find your joy in him, that you would come to the true, the sovereign joy, that, that every single one of us in this room, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good and that we would find in him the satisfaction for our souls. Let's pray. Father, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, our pleasures evermore. Father, we confess that we forget that. Sometimes in the good times we forget that and we forget to be grateful and we forget to to find our hope in you. And sometimes in the hard times we forget that. We run after other gods to, to try to make ourselves happy. Sometimes we walk through fear, we walk through battle and we're shaken. We don't have you set continually before us. So we confess that to you, Lord, and we pray that you would bring us back to you. And yet we thank you that you don't accept us because we've done this perfectly. You accept us because of Jesus, his death and resurrection on our behalf. And the fact that now in him, we can come to you and we can be honest about our sin and we can be honest about our fears and we can be honest about our struggles and we can know that you will welcome us into your presence because Christ has died and risen again and he brings us into the very presence of God where there is fullness of joy and pleasures evermore. So teach us to delight in you, to delight in your goodness, not only the good things you give us, but the fact that you give us yourself. Thank you for your love for us, Lord. We pray it in Christ's name, amen. Key verse this week is Psalm 1611. This is a beautiful promise. And so my prayer for you, whatever you're walking through, good, bad, or ugly this week, and that you, is that you would experience this. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. 
So let's experience that this week. Uh, All right, let's stand and let's receive our benediction. Um, This comes from the book of Jude. Now, a lot of times when we think about enduring and enduring with joy, we can think, oh, that all depends on me. That depends on me making it to the finish line. That depends on all these things that I do. But the good news is that God is the one who finishes the work that he began in us. And God is the one who enables us to endure with joy. So let's receive this blessing as we go out. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forever. Amen. Peace be with you. Have a great week.